not listening to the BBC. It is not seven o'clock on Sunday. Uncle Reggie. 
if you heard my last program, you might remember that I told you all about how I was famous a long time ago. Long before e-box playstations, mobile cellulites, and the worldwide internets and all that, I used to host all kinds of fascinating programs, but one in particular was very popular indeed, and this is it. Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio, and you're welcome to it. It was very successful before your mother was born, possibly, but that's by the by. What I also told you about last time was my very special time-traveling capabilities. You didn't know about that? Oh, well, let me let you into a little secret. I had a big old radio here, which I built, which will take us both spiraling off into another time dimension. Usually I pick cherries from the past, but sometimes I delve into the future. But that's a little more precarious. We'll see. Another thing about the radio is that it's a little, shall we say, temperamental. And if you heard the last episode, you'll remember that I'd managed to blow it up. <laughs> well, not completely. It was just the main transformer which heated uh, the grid rail uh, between my ego meter and a lamp limiter I resembled. Well, let's, let's just say that I mended it and everything's working fine now. And when I twiddle with my knob, we'll both be transported away to somewhere wonderful as I sit here in my armchair. So, are you ready for an adventure? Would you like to trip out to somewhere in the unbelievable past? Well, grab yourself another hot mug of Ovaltine, snuggle up to the speaker, and let's see what we can find, shall we? This week, I'm hoping to discover some rather fascinating programs which were, or were not, first broadcast a long time ago. And, as I said, my radio actually uses the stratospheric principle of regenerative propagation and, I'm sorry, a little too much science too early on there, I feel. I do apologize. Anyway, what I was meaning to say was that everything that you are about to hear is not a recording. No, my radio is an actual portal into the living past. Ooh, isn't that exciting? Right, uh, all I need to do now is fire this thing up. That's it. Apply a little more high-tension voltage to me, old watchmacorn. Now, tune this bit here to the right here. Oh, there we go. Somewhere about here, I think, we'll do it. Sounds like something's coming through. So, let's go through the snowflake shake speaker. Well, an itty-bitty termite, he came a-knocking, knocking on my front door. Well, he walked right in, sat right down, started nibbling on the kitchen floor. Well, he chewed on the walls, on the ceilings, and the hall. Lord knows he tried, but he kept getting thinner, never got to dinner. Finally, he sat up and cried. He said, it's plastic. I know it's plastic. Well, I know it ain't no wood. Daddy can't do me no good. Plastic. 
perhaps wish the time had been kinder to them, such as the beauties. Have you heard of them? I bet not. Well, the truth is that they were the first boy band whose fame skyrocketed into epic proportions in the very early 60s, long before, well, other better-known four-piece northern pop groups did. They came from a place called Bingley, they did. Do you know where that is? Yes, I bet you do. Well, they were a local band who were in the... They were in the right place at the right time, as they say, and their cheeky brand of foot-snapping, finger-tapping music was all the rage. Shall I, shall I see if I can find a newsreel from the time? Hmm, here we go, then. I think this is the right year. Ah, that's it. Off we go this time, through the mop-top-shaped speaker. Chicken Buffet News, bringing newsreels to the nation. 1962, and Yorkshire is under siege. Not from Jerry this time, but from a new music sensation that's sweeping the country. Bing Levy. That's right, those four mighty lads from the Air Valley are taking the pop world by storm. You might have heard of them, they're called the Beauties. If you haven't heard of them yet, you will do. Success with cities such as Pay Up Love and Let's All Go for the Trick, they've just beat out to Amsterdam to move the Dutch with their cheeky brand of caterwauling. Here they are at Heaton Airport, returning to British soil, and what a sight this is. Literally tens of girls are here screaming and waving flags with these young chaps, as if they were royalty. I hope Her Majesty doesn't mind. And now, as BEA Flight 12 falls up to the gate and the doors open, we see the group emerging at the top of the stairs. There's Stan and Trevor waving now and behind them Jeff, closely followed by the clown of the troop, Winky, a nickname he got from his cheeky habit of winking at all the girls. Careful now. Down the steps they go, and hasn't the good old British Bobby's got a job on their hands this afternoon? As these hysterical girls rush and shove just to get a glimpse of their favorite beauty. Yes, I think we can safely call this beauty mania. Let's hear what the group has to say. Well, it's really great to be back. We went away for a bit, but now we're over. Yeah, we went away. We missed you. Yeah, we missed you. Thanks a lot. Hey, well, there you have it. The beauties return to Yorkshire. A historic moment both for the pop parade and for Yorkshire. I think you'll agree. I don't know about this kind of music catching on, though. It might just be a flash in the pan. Only time will tell. Give me Frank Sinatra any day. They say that Liverpool has a bit of a music scene going on these days, but these lads have clearly tipped them to the post. Ah, the beauties fare from Bingley, and over the coming months I shall be finding more newsreels about them so that we can follow their progress right up to the time when they split up, as these bands always seem to do. Oh, it wasn't all doom and gloom back in the good old days. You might think that I moan on about how everything was better back then, but many things are considerably better now than they were. Electric tin openers, uh, uh, credit cards, personal shopping trolleys. I can't tell you just how hard times actually were, but we tried to shield the young ones from it all, you see. Couldn't have them worrying about a world war now, could we? Terrible state of affairs it was, but 
we just kept our chin ups and fantasized a great deal more. Let me find you a bit more music, shall I? Something to show you just how marvelous popular music used to be. Especially when it was made for children. Now then, I think this might do it. If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain because today's the day that teddy bears have their fear. Disturbing lyrics at it, 
by an Irish songwriter called Jimmy Kennedy. He lived in a place called Staple Grove Elm in Taunton, Somerset, I remember. And local folklore has it that the small woody area between the church there and Staple Grove Scout Hut was the inspiration for his lyrics. <laughs> I wonder just what he had been doing that day to come up with that idea. Uh, well, anyway, a great many people have recorded the song, including Bing Crosby. And in the late 1940s and early 50s, a, a version performed by organist Ethel Smith was, was, was used as the theme song for a radio program called The Big John and Sparky Show, a children's program presented on weekdays and Saturday mornings by a ventriloquist. I ask you on the radio, <laughs> only in the United States, but I used to play it as well on my program, you know, purely for technical reasons, you understand. You see, the, the, the 1932 Henry Hall recording which you just heard was considered to be of especially good audio quality with a large tonal range. It was used for more than 30 years by the BBC audio engineers, right up until the early 1960s, I think, to test and calibrate the frequency response of broadcasting equipment. Ah, I bet you didn't know that. Well, do you know, just looking at the clock there, it's about that time of the program where I read out some of your letters. And my mail bags are bulging fit to bust this month, but I'm afraid I'm only able to read out just a few. Don't let that stop you writing in, though. Oh, no, I, I do like to hear from you, and you can hear all the ways that you can get in touch with me at the end of the program. I'd just like to say a quick thank you for all the Christmas cards I got. It was wonderful to see them all lined up across the mantelpiece, the sideboard, the bookshelves, the picture rail, the balustrades, in the hallway, in the kitchen, the dining room, and the entrance porch. It is a shame I don't get as many as I used to do, but I suppose that's all part of getting old. Most of my friends have passed on now, or given the money to charity. Can't put that on my mantelpiece, can I? Anyway, I digress, as I often do. Let's have a look at some of the letters, shall we? And to mark this part of the show, I found some rather fitting music to go along with it. Over Christmas, 
and I hope that Mrs. Jiggly wasn't too upset with you afterwards for all the mess that you made. <laughs> yeah, well, you, yes, if you see, if you didn't hear last month's episode, then you won't know what happened. Not only had I brought myself back from the past with bloody shoes, don't you know, <laughs> but also I had a bit of an incident with the radio that's <laughs> it, uh, um, sort of exploded. <laughs> Debris and papers everywhere there was, even knocked over the side table. Twiglets and peanut shells everywhere there were. Luckily, Mrs. Jiggly is free to do what I tell her, even if she does boss me around. No harm done, eventually. Now, what else does Richard say? Ah, I also really enjoyed the Yorkshire Moon mission story and wondered if you had any way of finding out what happens next. Oh, yes, Richard. Very soon I shall be rooting out the newsreel of their return to Earth and all the things that happened then. Stay tuned and all will be revealed. Thanks for writing in, Richard. Lovely letter. Who's next? Now, this is from Holly, from Cross Hills. Hello, Holly. What a lovely festive name. I bet it was your birthday over Christmas, wasn't it? <laughs> I thought as much. She says, uh, Dear Uncle Reggie, how old are you, and how come nobody I know has heard of you? Well, uh, <clears throat> little incident, I must say, but in balance, I can see the reasoning behind your question. Uh, you see, it all happened a long time ago, when I was starting to experiment with time, or rather dabbling with the time continuum. At first it was easy, I simply tuned into the echoing reverberations of radio signals that were still bouncing about, but then I found out that my radio was being sucked through a portal that I had created. I was able to dip in and out, you see. All very exciting. That was up until I started bumping into myself. Then it all got a bit complicated. What happens is that when I go to where I was, there is a transparent beam that activates the local oscillator and, and well, let's just say that we sometimes swap places. Or, and this is the crucible of the matter, one of us becomes the host body. I rather thought it might be a jolly jake to put my older self into my younger body, but that, well, it brought about all kinds of very complicated consequences. One of which was that I managed to pretty much erase all evidence of me ever being here. My whole career. I swear, everything gone. But on the upside, it means that today I'm a healthy, bouncy, fit and able centurion. I mean, centenarian. Yes, that means that I'm over a hundred years old. Fourteenth of April, nineteen twelve, I was born. That was my birthday. It was it was very state for other reasons too. Can you guess what? There's something to write to me about there, if you know. Write to me and tell me, and the first correct answer out of my hat will win a chocolate orange. Thank you, Holly. And remember, it's not particularly polite to ask an old person their age. Yes, especially when they're a time-traveling old person. Anyway, thank you for your letter, Holly. Right. 
And finally, just time for one more. Ooh, look at this. A Christmas card. Mmm. It's got a greeting inside it which has been scribbled out. Best wishes of the season from Frank and Glenda. Mmm. Then there's a message written on the other page in purple lettering. Oh, well, I suppose that's recycling for you. Here's a lovely picture of some kittens in a bucket on the front, though. Who's this from? Oh, Paul. Paul from Bradley. Bradley? I know that name. Bradley? Oh, Paul, I'm not sure. This is from Dow. You're confusing me. There are things. What's the message, <laughs> Dear Reginald, your radio sounds like a very exciting invention. And I'd love to meet you and see how it works. Oh, oh, no. No, that can never be. I'm sorry, Paul, but under no circumstances do I ever meet any of my fans. I never have, and I'm not about to start now. No, no, far too complicated. Besides, Lord Reef clearly stated that... Broadcasting is a privilege which must be restricted to only the professional intelligentsia. Let's see, that is narrow. And as a free, as, as someone who must maintain professional boundaries, I have to say, with deep apologies, that in spite of your kind offer, I must decline. Let's thank you all for writing in. All the same. Well, that's it for this time. Do keep your letters flooding in, and who knows? Next time, I might read yours out and give you a mention. I'm gonna go right now and write myself a letter. Make me leave, make me leave, make me leave the game for you. Right then. Something a little different now, if I can find it. Back in the 50s, BBC North created a daily drama about village folk from the Yorkshire Dales. It ran for just one pilot series and then disappeared into obscurity, but I can't imagine why. Hopefully, over the months, we can return to catch up with the residents, but... For now, let me see if I can find you a particular episode to listen to. Hmm? Uh, nope, not there. Oh, where the blasted blazes has it gone, eh, Mr. Tibbs? He's my cat, you know. Cheeky chappy, but I love him dearly. We've been on lots of magical adventures together, haven't we, Pussy? Yes, sir. This sounds like the place. Fortunately, I think I'm going to have to go looking in my journal for all those numbers and dates that I have stored in there. It's a tricky business this time traveling, you know. Here it is. Here it is. So, sit back and let's go through the Yorkshire pudding-shaped window. Later this evening here on BBC North. But now, it's time to make our daily visit to the Yorkshire Dales village of Kettlegrit, as we catch up with the residents in our dreary drama of simple country folk. Come with us now to the village pub, where we see what's going on in The Fletchers. <laughs>
I thought, I thought he didn't work. Aye, that's why he swears by it. Now, tell you what then, lad. You pop that road, have a word with Marjorie. She'll pick you up with some hearing equipment, and then when you get back, I'll have a nice fish supper ready for you. What do you say for that, then? Come here, you mortal fool. Here, what are you doing? Get your filthy great mix off my head. Ah, uh, you put my wife down this instant, lad. There'll be no soul out of know what it is that you say you've come here for before breakfast outside my club. You here, Paul, get away with you, you cheeky sack. I shall return. I'll just crawl around to this mess. We'll see about that, lad. You're not coming in here, you bad. Honestly, some of the jokes you get around here these days. Right. He's speaking of which, here comes your master sobriety. Wrong as usual. Sounds more like he's on the over to me. Ah, we are right there, Master Zabriety. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. I've gone that much, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, bring me. Come on, lad, let's get you inside and soak you up, shall we? Been at that home-brew potato mash book like Boots and Eli's again, have you? <laughs> yeah, hang on. I'm not having him in my pub in that state. Here, you're forgetting our poor motto, Doc. Omnis Fletcher, this welcome consumers, copious, spices, setting, no good drinkers. Fletcher, the hand is always open. Fletcher, for them, is fondly drinking. And as I say, over the threshold, Jack Simpleton, licensed, in pursuit of Parliament, prediction and dancing. Come on, lad, walk this way. If you could walk that way, could. <laughs> That's it, son. You just grumpy yourself over there, the end of March, and I'll go get hangover cure. I like this, I reckon. Oh, there you are, Simpleton. Oh, this Mr. Lardy's half from that there bound conversation with Lowell, my dear sir. <laughs> What's going to do for you, Mr. Dean? Large coffee, please. Very good, sir. Jogger, see? Aye, coming up now. There we go, Mr. Peterson. One large coffee. What is that this? Aye. That's for large coffee. Aye, and you're lucky. I gave you the extra because I like your smile and don't you think I get it now? There's barely two fifths in this cup. Only two fifths? Only, only two fifths, you say? People in the town call that and kick bristles. Some of the finest rips this side of kettle grits, of course. Come some people. Don't know how lucky they are. That's ten pence, please. I don't know how lucky they are. Yeah, keep the change. When Jack here was your age, you'd be lucky if they got out of trip most days. Well, I used to dream of getting out for good. He should have come by during that horse fight, man. I'd have learned him. Aye, as it would. See, that is it very well may. I'd rather like a drink that lasts a little longer while I'm needing the Guardian. So if you don't mind, I'll have another one. What do you want to go and do for my like that for, Annie? <laughs> All right, lies and dumb lies. Poor people do that a lot these days, you know, Jack. So I heard tell. So what to do with books, I think. Oh, aye, I saw a book once. On a shelf it was. In one of them newfangled travelling library places. Never seen the call for a missile. All this modern nonsense, reading, whatever next day. Oh, I quite fancy the idea myself, you know. Oh, that's enough of that talk, my girl. There'll be no women readers in this book while I'm on, lad. Besides, it's all bound to go out of style eventually. What would you do then, eh? You'd have wasted all that time. <laughs> all right, Master Sobriety, I'm coming. Hang on a stick. I'll just get that hair of the dog for these.
in a deep red wagon that made me both scratch and rattle. Come on, Jack, come on. Catch that Watson. Thank you. Clutching at the collar of his coat, 
in her Methodist compassion, he instantly saw that the man was killed, wet, and most probably lost on a night such as this. As the wind battered their faces, he bid him to come inside. Once before the fire, Samuel spoke with the man and asked him his business, but although he appeared shaken and somewhat reticent, eventually inquired if there was a spare room for the night that he might stay. Samuel was a good host and was well respected amongst the local farmers and his other regulars. However, he was also known for his vivid imagination and fondness for telling strangers about the many ghosts that he claimed were resident in his establishment. The locals knew it was nothing more than a rouse to attract custom from the curious and the thrill-seekers, but it seemed harmless enough, and they forgave his outlandish claims, indulging him on the many occasions that he would tell stories on dark nights around the crackling fireplace. Eager to entertain his new guest as he tucked into a hot meal of soup, he told yarns of headless horsemen and grey-clad women who were often known to roam the corridors and yards of the old building. But, undaunted by these recollections, the mysterious guest explained that he was tired from travel and wanted nothing more than to rest for the night. Samuel obliged graciously and showed him to the master bedroom above the bar at the front of the inn. The room was a suitable appointment, having wood panelling, a large double bed, a dresser, and fine views out onto the hills. Samuel wished him a good night, and left the traveller about his privacy. Once alone, the traveller wasted no time in making himself comfortable. He washed, undressed, and lay down to sleep. The wind ripped violently outside, but it made no difference to him as he settled back into the stretched white Welsh linen sheets and duck-down pillows. Shortly after half-past twelve, the man was disturbed by a sound, not made by the gales that lashed the window, nor by the creaking of boards that follows the cooling after the fire has gone out. No. These were deliberate sounds, and ones which caught his attention from deep within his slumber, raising him up like a shipwreck from the deep. He opened his eyes, and in the darkness he called out, Who is this that disturbs my sleep? Tell me, who dares come creeping at such an hour? My Lord, is it you? There was no answer, so the man rose from his bed, lit one of the candles that were at his bedside, and went in search of the source of his disturbance. The wind hissed down the chimney to be let in, and at the corridor the devil sucked his teeth in defiance of the warmth within. In the corridor beyond, the man stepped lightly over the threshold, and was confronted by a crouching figure dressed as a grotesque, who rose up before him. What is the meaning of this, he said, and the figure quickly removed its mask, and holding it nervously, he realized the error of his actions. He spoke. Are you not Philip Lockley? inquired the figure. No, I am most certainly not. 
How dare you break my sleep with this childish foolishness? Then you must be the true owner of this inn. May God help me, he cried, and fled away into the dark and down the stairs as they had encountered a ghost. The following morning, the man was perturbed and somewhat angry about the proceedings and challenged the landlord, asking him why he had tried to fool him and break his night's sleep. As Samuel served up a hearty breakfast of cooked bacon and hen's eggs, he was puzzled by the traveller's accusations, explaining that it could not have been himself, as he was attending to his sick wife in their cottage at the other side of the stable, and he went on to explain that one of the stories of the building recounted the tale of Eli Barnes, the former landlord who had tricked the original owner into selling him the inn, and his mischievous ways had followed him through life, getting him into a number of difficult situations. Eli Barnes used to play the most outrageous pranks on his guests until one fateful night when his good friend Philip Loxley was staying here. They were well known for their rivalry of practical jokes between them, said Samuel. The rest of the inn was empty that night, save for this one room, the one that you stayed in, and Eli had crept up the stairs, looking to frighten his friend. What he didn't know was that Philip had risen to take a night walk, due to the most terrible gutache. The story goes that Eli crept in, hoping to scare Philip, but instead he met a terrible spectre in the room. So terrible was the encounter, and so afraid was Eli, that he ran back down the stairs, tripped and broke his neck. He was found by Philip, poor man, who sobbed as he ran for help. The stranger was neither unmoved nor impressed by the tale, pushed back his chair, paid what money he owed, thanked Samuel for his hospitality, and left. His cold manner had not troubled Samuel up to this point, but his sudden departure unsettled him. A gentleman such as he would surely have exchanged more pleasant conversation or light-hearted chatter, he felt, for a moment vexed, and that perhaps he had failed to cater sufficiently. Most possibly, the traveller would go on to tell tales of the inn with less than favourable impressions, but his way was soon to be steered a very different course. Later, as he went to clear the bedroom and collect the towels, Samuel was astonished to find that the bed had not been slept in. In fact, not a single thing in the room had been touched. The towels were exactly as he had left them the day before, and the bed was in immaculate order, its sheets untouched by so much as a finger, let alone a man who might have slept there. There you are, then. Wasn't that a lovely tale? Well... It's now time to switch off the old radio and let it cool down for a bit. There we go. Have you enjoyed your trip with me? Do you like all the adventures and musical stories? Would you like to take a trip with me again next time? You would? Oh, that's wonderful. Well... That happy yawn brings a lump to the eye, a tear to the throat, 
and an end to the program. Hmm? Let there be more next time. You just see if there isn't. All that remains now is for me to say to you all, good night, children, wherever you are. Uncle Reggie's Magic Radio is a Corniche pastiche production and featured Daniel Wilmot. It was written and produced by J. Bramwell Slater, who is a member of the Royal Shakespeare Book Club. Acknowledgements and credits go to the generous community at freesound.org. You can get in touch with Uncle Reggie by visiting the website at 3W Koosh Records. That's Koosh with a K and two O's. Koosh slash Reg. He is also on Facebook as Reginald Merriweather and also on Twitter at The Real Reginald. This program is broadcast on the last Sunday of each month and you can hear the next episode on the 24th of February. However, there will be repeats and eventually a podcast to download on iTunes by searching for Uncle Reggie. In a moment, a brand new science fiction series called Surge, but now it's very nearly 11 o'clock.